0: As Gene comes to read our scripture for us this morning, found in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. If you would like to follow along in the pew Bibles there in front of you, it's found on page 802. Or if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, you are invited and encouraged to do so. Again, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. Now, God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O God, our Redeemer, through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? What's your, what's your motivation for what you do day in and, and, and day out? Now, if, if I were if I were to ask that question uh, 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 to people who are who are who are not here in our sanctuary today, certainly I would get I would get all kinds of answers. Things like uh, things like money and possessions. I get up and, and go to work so that I can I can earn a paycheck so that so then I can I can experience the, the things of life. Others might say that they are motivated by prestige and, and their social standing in the community. They they go to the they go to the parties that they go to, they go to the gatherings that they go to, they, they drive the kind of car that they have because of a of a certain level of prestige that they want to attain. Others, others of us might even, might even if, we were, if we were really honest uh, about our lives, we might say that it is our family that motivates us to do what we do. Uh, again, whether that's the kind of job that we have or the kind of time that we spend or, or how we spend our time, it may be our, our family that is our motivation. It may be to, to help others. It may be simply to make the world a, a better place. Make the world a better place sounds like a really good motivation. And, and indeed it, it can be. For others, it may be that we're trying to live up to the expectations of others. It may, it may be that we're trying to, to make our parents proud. It may be that we're trying to trying to make ourselves proud as well. What is, what is the wh- what is the motivation for how you live, how you spend your time and how you spend your money and how you live your life. If you ever get to the to the answer to that question, I think that you will find then what is the Lord of your life? Whatever it is that motivates us, and the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, the way that that we that we that we live our lives, that is, that is indeed the Lord of our lives. Today we're continuing our sermon series dealing with the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is an ancient creed, though it was not written by the Apostles. It was written, we believe, in the, around the year 125 or so, about almost 100 years after the death and resurrection of of jesus but as but as they were as the early church was coming together they recognized that there were some distinctive christian beliefs that they needed to write down in a in some sort of in some sort of statements. it's a it's a short statement to be honest to be honest it's a very short statement comparatively but in it contains uh, contains some core christian doctrine now not all key tenets of our faith are found in the Apostles' Creed, but all of the the statements in the Apostles' Creed are key tenets to our faith. What we confess, what we believe matters. It's a simple statement, but it's a radical statement for our time. What we believe, what we confess matters. There are some who are who, are, who teach that it is only how we act that matters. They would say what, what, what a person believes really doesn't matter. It's only, it's only how we act that matters. And actions are indeed important, but those actions, I believe, must emanate from what we believe or our actions will be based on societal norms or the shifting sands of culture. But if, our, but, if our, but if our actions are based on our beliefs, and, what our, and when our beliefs are based on Scripture, and they include the key tenets of the faith, then our actions won't change. They will be consistent across time. Amen. So no longer will we shift and call what was once a sin, it, now we call it simply a lifestyle. For example. For example, since the beginning of Christianity, lust has been seen as, as an insidious sin. Until recently, I might add. The Bible teaches that adultery is sinful. It is wrong. It is wrong. Adultery is wrong. It is clear all across, all across Scripture. In fact, it is listed as one of the ten most important rules or laws in the Old, in the old Testament. But Jesus took it a step further when he said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. To lust is to commit adultery. And this has been one of the most important beliefs and morals of our faith for the last 2,000 years, but not so today. Oh, it's just a picture. It's just a video, some would have you believe. It's not hurting anyone. Pornography is a, uh, it really doesn't hurt anyone, but don't let them fool you. It is indeed more than just a picture, more than just a video. Viewing pornography is a sin, and according to Jesus, it is just the same as committing adultery. But in our modern conscience, there's not much wrong with it, it's everywhere, it's culturally accepted. It's no longer a sin or looked at, upon as taboo in the greater culture. And dare I even say, in many areas of, the, of Western Christianity, pornography is not a, not a real big deal. It's, it's joked about even. It's no longer a sin. It's, it's, simply, a, it's simply a lifestyle. But if our actions are based on our beliefs, which are based upon Scripture, then a sin is a sin is a sin. What was once considered a sin is still considered a sin. What we believe matters, dear friends. This section of the creed that we are examining today, this section of the creed, and we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. This section of the creed today begins with the word and, and that's an important word in the creed. Because I find so many people that they say, well, I believe in God, but the whole Jesus thing I'm not quite sure about. In fact, there are are some in Western Christianity that tell us that we need to quit talking quite so much about Jesus. In fact, I have even heard those exact words. You traditionalists, you conservative Christians, you need to quit talking so much about Jesus. This is about God after all. But our creed has the word and in it. Just as we believe in God the Father Almighty, we also believe in Jesus Christ. And it makes makes a difference. If we believe in just some unknowable and unknown God out there, it is just some sort of theoretical practice that we are in. But instead, we believe that we know God through Jesus Christ. And that's important section of our creed has four different titles for for the eternal son four different titles for the eternal son and each one of them are are very important the first title that the creed gives the this eternal son and so by the way we this is it is incredibly Trinitarian the creed is incredibly Trinitarian there are some Uh, modern Christians in the West that that reject an idea of the Trinity, uh, but the the creed is incredibly Trinitarian, meaning that we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God God the Holy Spirit. Uh, One substance, but three persons of the Trinity. And so just as we believe in God the Father, so we also believe in God the Son. And so when we call this God the Son, the eternal Son, Jesus, we are saying something about who this eternal Son is and how he came and revealed himself to us. The, word, the, the, the name Jesus was somewhat of a common name in, in uh, Jesus' time. And there were evidence of at least 10 other men who lived in Judea at the same time as Jesus with that with that same name. There were at least five high priests of the temple that had the name Jesus. It is a Greek version of the Old Testament name Joshua. And so in in Hebrew, it is Yeshua, and in in Greek, it is Jesus. It means God saves. And to call Jesus, and and to call the eternal son Jesus, we we are saying that this eternal son came to us and was incarnate in the flesh. And he came and he lived among us fully as a human. Jesus Christ was fully human. Fully human. And so as we see him performing miracles, as we, as we see him uh, performing miraculous deeds throughout his life, he did so fully as a human. And you know what he said to us? He said, you have seen me great, do amazing things. You will do even greater things. How can he say such things? Because he lived his life as a human, and he knew that the exact same power that he had, we have as well. And so when we call, and when we, so when we call uh, uh, this eternal son Jesus, we are, we are saying that he lived his life as fully as a human. But the second part is just as important. We believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ is not Jesus' last name, as some might have you believe. It is not his last name, but it denotes that he is divine, fully divine. Whereas Jesus was fully human, likewise he is also fully divine. The word Christ comes from the Greek word that itself comes from a Hebrew word that means the anointed one. It's often translated as the Messiah. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed when they formally began their service for God. The anointing was a sign that, that God had called them to their position. To call Jesus to Christ means that he is the one that God promised to send to deliver Israel and bring salvation to the world. It means that Jesus is divine. And this is incredibly important to believe. What we believe about how Jesus is the Christ is incredibly important. It's called Christology. How we believe that Jesus is the Christ is called our Christology. There are some who have a low Christology, meaning that they, they, the, the bar is very low for their understanding of who jesus was many of those with a low christology would not affirm the divinity of jesus would not affirm uh, the miracles that jesus performed would would believe that jesus was simply a a, a pretty good prophet and a, and a really good teacher and and he and he may or may not have had some miracles performed at least at least he performed some miracles in the eyes of of the apostles anyway there are some with a low christology but then there are others who have a high christology and i count myself among those who have a who have a high christology and those of us with a high christology believe that 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 when jesus when when we find those descriptions of what jesus said and did in the bible we actually believe it we believe that jesus christ was divine fully human yet Fully divine. It was God come in the flesh. He wasn't, he didn't, he didn't become like a God. He wasn't, he didn't have a special anointing that just simply made him special. No, this was God come in the flesh. God come in the flesh. When we say that Jesus is the Christ, it means that he is the Savior, the Redeemer, the forgiver of sins. It means salvation comes through him. And that brings us to the third title in the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus Christ is God's only Son. This begins the dividing point with other religions here in our Creed. Up to this point, these are claims that almost everyone will make about, about Jesus, or at least those of other religions would make about Jesus. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Shintos, they all believe they certainly all believe in the humanity of Jesus. And some, some might even say that Jesus was the divine savior of the Jews. Many of other religions would say that he was the divine savior of the Jews. But none, no other religion would say that Jesus is the unique revelation of God except Christians. Jesus is not a son or a great prophet as all other world religions claim about Jesus god was has no son but Jesus Christ but in our pluralistic culture today we are looked down upon if you make some sort of far-fetched claim about Jesus like he is god's only son that he is the only way to salvation when i make that plain claim publicly that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation even here in the middle of the Bible Belt I am considered a bigot hatefully intolerant and a xenophobe now the Roman government the Roman government in Jesus day had little issue or at least after Jesus had little had little issue with Christians because of their claim that Jesus was the only way to salvation the the Roman government couldn't care they could care less that these new Christians claimed that Jesus was the only way to salvation. It was a little odd they thought because there were a plethora of many gods, they were happy to add Jesus to their to their pantheon of gods. It didn't matter to them. There were even some Romans so emperors that did that as well. They, they just simply added Jesus into their list of all, the, all of the many gods. They tolerated those who claimed their religion was their only right religion. They tolerated the Jews for the most part as well. And they tolerated Christians for the most part. This was a religious issue. The people of other religions, however certainly weren't happy by this claim of Christians. And so when early Christians called themselves, first they called themselves Christians, but then when they began to say that Jesus Christ, salvation came only through Jesus Christ, then, then there were persecutions of Christians from from people of other religious groups in their day. When we recite the creed, we are saying that Jesus Christ is the unique revelation of God. That salvation comes ultimately through Jesus Christ. It's a unique claim that we make. That salvation comes ultimately through Jesus Christ. And then finally, the the final, the final. Um, Title given given to this eternal son relates to to you and me. He is our Lord. The Greek word is kurios. The the word occurs many times in the in the New Testament. It It was also common throughout the Roman Empire. It basically has a meaning of an absolute ruler. Caesar is Lord was the official gesture of political loyalty expressed in everyday life in in, in political pomp and even religious ceremony. Caesar is Lord. Because of the Roman Empire stretched from Europe into the Middle East and across northern Africa, it encompassed many provinces and, and included many local religions. Each of, of the various religions had its own code of conduct, its, its own sacred scripture, its own pattern of worship and form of sacrifice and priesthood and on and, and, and on and on. Because these religions tend to, tended to keep people Pacified, the Romans left them alone for the most part. I mean, they, they, they recognized that when, when people got together to pray uh, and, and to practice their own unique faith, it, uh, there was a lot of religious freedom and a, and a lot of religious pluralism in the, in, in the Roman Empire. And, it, and so it kept everyone, it kept everyone satisfied. In order to well, there, there really were two primary things that the Romans, in, they required everyone to do. One was to pay taxes, and that was very important. You paid your Roman taxes. And the second thing that you were required to do was to say that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is your ultimate ruler. No one else, not, not the ruler of Egypt, not, not, the, not the ruler of... Um, Asia, not, not the ruler of whoever else. No one else was your ruler except for Caesar. Caesar Caesar is, is Lord. But Christians steadfastly refused to say that Caesar was Lord. They wouldn't say it. They could not and would not deny Christ because how could they say Caesar is Lord when their faith taught them that Jesus is Lord? Because of this, because Christians refused to say that Caesar was Lord and held fast, to the, uh, held fast to this statement that Jesus is Lord, Christians were slaughtered by the tens of thousands because they refused to bow down before the Roman emperor. It was a line that they absolutely would not cross. Chuck Colson notes that in the first century, if you stood in a public gathering and cried out, Jesus is God, no one would be upset. But if you stood on the street corner and shouted, Jesus is Lord, you would absolutely start a riot. Let me be crystal clear. Rome did not persecute Christians because they believed in the deity of Christ or that Jesus was the promised Messiah or that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Rome did not kill Christians because they said Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those were religious beliefs and they did not threaten the state. They were killed and persecuted because they said Jesus is Lord. When they said that Jesus is the ruler of our lives, Jesus is the master of my life, it's not the government, it's not our political system, it's not our money, it's not even our family that's the Lord of our life, it is Jesus Christ that is the ruler of our life. To call Jesus Lord means that he is sovereign over the entire universe and has the right of sovereign rule over you and me. The fundamental confession of the Christian faith in the New Testament is not that Jesus is Savior. The fundamental confession of faith that we find in the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now let me say a, a word about this section of the of the of the creed and, and the issues that we are having in the united methodist denomination right now this is a section of the creed that it is, that is at the very heart of the impasse of the united methodist church now you may have read in the media that the united methodist church will likely split as a denomination this year and by the way, I certainly believe that is true. It is, it is, we're inching closer and closer to it by the day. You'll read in the media that, that the reason for this is that we, are, we have a difference of opinion over the issue of same-gender marriage and our understanding of, of human sexuality. But if you ask any traditional United Methodist pastor, of which I am one, what the split is really about, we would all say that it is about the authority of Scripture and Christology. It is all about the authority of Scripture and Christology, what we believe about Jesus Christ. Traditional United Methodists believe that the Bible is authoritative, meaning we believe the Bible contains all things necessary for salvation and is the ultimate authority on on. On ethical and, and moral issues. Likewise, traditionalists have a high Christology, meaning we believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, both fully divine and fully human, whose death atoned for us, whose death on the cross atoned for the sins of the world, whose bodily resurrection paved the way for entire sanctification and complete victory over the power of sin and death. And those that are on the other side of the issue, they wouldn't affirm any of that. Not all. But what I'm saying is that this is the split in the denomination. I, I, know, I know those that differ with me and, and, and differ from many other traditionalists over the issue of same-gender marriage. And I'll tell you, they're going to find themselves on the the side of the traditional church. Because they affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They affirm the atoning death of Jesus Christ. They affirm the miraculous works that Jesus performed and what he calls us to perform as well. They have a high Christology. For the past 50 years, the United Methodist Church has felt it needed to conform more and more to culture to bring in people, but instead it's had the opposite effect we've become like culture, and we have actually repelled people, but the Christian faith is always intended to be countercultural now let me we, we must we must be clarifying and transforming instead of conforming to culture. we must be transforming and and clarifying to culture rather than conforming to culture. Americans, by and large, believe in what's called a, a a moralistic therapeutic deism, meaning that there is a God who watches over the world, and and this God wants people to be generally good, and happy, and wealthy, and 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 one day will will likely take all of the good people to heaven when we die, and 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 that's what the United Methodist Church, by and large, has, has come to believe. Now, for, for us here at Oklahoma City First United Methodist Church, we have been mostly shielded by this conflict in our denomination. I stand in the theological lineage of every pastor you've had for the last 40 years, but, but much of American Methodism and other mainline denominations have been force-fed I believe, heretical teachings about the Bible and the nature of Jesus Christ. Since its inception in 1968, when there was a merger between the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren Church, the United Methodist Church has prided itself on being a big tent religion, meaning we have accepted a plethora of thoughts, even about the core tenets of our faith. And so there's an incredible incredible differences in theology across the United Methodist Church. Even here in Oklahoma City, you can go to one United Methodist Church and they will say this about Jesus and even about the nature of salvation and you'll go just down the street and you'll hear something completely different. These are key tenets of our faith. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God. United Methodist Bishop Joseph Sprague, in his writings, he denies Jesus' eternal being. He believes that Jesus was simply a man who was born. He denies the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection. He denies the atoning death. Jesus was not born divine, he said. He became divine by his religious life. And this is a United Methodist bishop, sisters and brothers. He proposes a refined Christian trinity of Jesus, Gandhi, and Martin Luther King Jr. United Methodist bishop Karen Olivetto in a recent blog described Jesus by saying that Jesus was, and I quote, a prejudiced bigot who needed to change. And I continue, like you and me, he didn't have his life figured out. He was still growing, maturing, putting the pieces together about who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. He was more like a hunk of clay forming and reforming himself in relation to God. And another outspoken United Methodist Pastors blog, who is a Wesley Foundation director, thankfully in another Conference in the United States. He said this Friends, Jesus isn't God. Jesus didn't die for our sins. He wasn't killed instead of us. None of us living today killed Jesus. God didn't need Jesus to be killed. God isn't wrathful or vindictive. There isn't a hell other than the ones that we create here on this earth. I'm going to heaven, after we die, isn't what faith is about. There isn't going to be a rapture, and it isn't particularly necessary for Jesus' resurrection to have been a physical one for it to have been real and meaningful. This is our United Methodist Church. And the reason that we are going to split as a denomination has little to do with same-gender marriage or human sexuality. That's the presenting issue. But it all has to do with our core tenets of our faith. Is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus the Lord? Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Notice how simple a phrase that is. Jesus is Lord. To confess with your mouth means more than simply saying those words. It means to agree from the heart that you believe what you are saying. That is why the lordship of Jesus Christ matters matters so much. It is the difference maker. It's the dividing line between an unbeliever and a believer. Is Jesus, Lord of your life do we continue to profess that Jesus the eternal son came and lived his life fully as a fully as a human and fully divine and had a salvific work for us there on the cross do we continue to affirm that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation do we continue to affirm that Jesus Christ is our lord never ever ever turn away from the key tenets of our faith when we do we have lost the faith we have conformed to our culture and instead we must be we must be reforming transforming our culture with the good news of Jesus Christ this is good news because when we say that Jesus Christ is our Lord and can be anyone else's Lord, that is good news, dear friends, because there are people slipping into eternity moment by moment by moment without knowing the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. we simply bow before you and affirm that you are our Lord. You're the reason that we live. You give our lives meaning and hope God, if there are those who are here today that have struggled confessing you as their Lord, maybe today there are some of us here today that have recognized that there are places of our lives that you are not our Lord. We have other reasons for doing what we do, money, family, just simply trying to make the world a better place. Help us to, help us to know today that you want to be Lord of all of our lives. Every single part. Come and be our Lord. Our ruler. Come and be our Savior. Our Redeemer. Indeed, today we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.